You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Good morning. <laughs> uh, again, I just wanted to uh, thank you for coming this morning and, and encourage you to plug into one of the turning points. And we are actually starting some interest-based ones uh, this next month, and it's a great place to connect and build relationships with people and, and really uh, just get to know other people uh, so that you can become part, more part of the life of refuge here. Turning Points, are, it's a new directive that we believe the Lord has given us in helping to build the church. So, and this morning, I just want to also mention we had a great time at family camp. Our worship team uh, uh, did the worship for the first part of the week. And so we just had a great time sitting under the ministry of the word and, and coming together with other believers from around the state. So that was a, a great time. And this morning, before I get into my message, I just wanted to take a couple of moments and, and address uh, the recent uh, ruling by the Supreme Court, because that's going to affect all of our lives. And in no way do I want to come across <coughs> as being, um, uh, let's just say, hateful or hurtful or anything like that, because uh, I believe that as Christians, we need to exemplify the love of Jesus in everything with, that we do in, in our lives. And so uh, we understand that marriage and family have been the bedrock of our society. And um, Friday in the Supreme Court ruling, there was a decision made to legalize same-sex marriage for the nation, which actually is causing this nation to move further away from the principle, principles of God and the principles of his word. The foundation of marriage is under attack in an effort to redefine it. And so that's, that's an issue. It's a major shift of morality in our nation which will take us on a path that I don't believe we really want to go on. And it's not a matter of love and hate. It's really a matter of right and wrong. The, the scripture tells us in Psalms 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? Well, one thing we can do is pray. And one thing we can do is share the love of Jesus. You know, if Jesus, if we were to ask, what would Jesus say to the gay community, what do you think he would say? Well, I believe he would, first of all, say, I love you. He would tell them, I understand rejection. He would tell them, I was tempted as well. He would also tell them that I want more for you, and I'm here for you, and I can make a difference in your life, and I can set you free from any or all sin, because every one of us have sin issues in common. You know, sin is a common issue for all of humanity. And so we know that Jesus came to really bring an answer and a remedy to the sin that holds us in bondage, whatever that sin may be. And we are to love all mankind, but hate the sin that enslaves them. Actually, uh, we need to continue to speak the truth in love. Um, we have a great commission that hasn't changed. So we have work to do. See, only Jesus can truly transform a life. So we have to tell others about him and what he can do for them. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts, in his dissenting vote, stated, under the Constitution, judges have the power to say what law is, not what it should be. See, 
in my personal opinion, the court has overstepped its judicial powers in making this landmark decision. And so, but that's not gonna change what we do and our vision and our outreach because the, the Great Commission is still the same. So just keep that in mind, okay? And uh, we have information that uh, is available and for you uh, at a later time. Uh, if you want more answers, because there's questions that people have. What are we going to do? How is this going to affect us? And all this. But uh, we're going to stay true to the word. We're going to stay true to biblical principle. Because one day, you and I both will have to stand before God. And we'll have to give account for decisions we've made in this life. And I want to stand before God knowing that I served him with my whole heart, with my whole desire to do what's right. And I believe that every true Christian, there should be a sincere desire to follow God and do what's right, even though it may not be popular in our culture or in our society. And, you know, Jesus said they're going to, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So as believers, we need to be prepared to be persecuted for standing up for what's right, for what's true. And yet love with the love of Jesus and not be hateful, and not do things that would dishonor the, the, the Christ that we serve. All right? But those are just a few thoughts from my heart this morning. But we're talking this morning about origins. And when we think about origins, it's a, it's a starting place. It's a place of beginnings. Every one of us have an origin. And in, at Refuge, our origin in this series, we're talking about our core values. And core values have to do with how we do life as a church. The guiding principles that, that uh, guide us in how we relate to one another within the church, as well as how we reach out to the community outside these four walls. And each of these principles, we have 12 of them, or these core values, we're discussing from week to week uh, throughout the summer. And so uh, there's, 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 I believe, a great understanding that we can have and to unify us as a body of believers in our outreach to the community. Um, at Refuge, our core values are based on Bible truth. The Bible is a book of principles, but it's more than that. It's actually truth that can bring freedom to those who are in captivity. It's a source of life-giving hope. It's a source of direction and purpose for our lives. The Word of God is life-giving, uh, yet it confronts us in the point of our greatest need and brings us to a place of of receiving the answer that only God can provide. We can reject the truth, but it will result in believing a lie. Anytime you reject the truth, you become subject to believing a lie. And uh, there's a difference between the truth and the lie. The truth is never subject to change, but the truth will change a lie, but the lie will never change the truth. Amen? And so... Uh, refuge is a, a place for people, and that's kind of a tagline here. You see that on the uh, you know, literature and the signage. It's a place for people, and I believe that people are going to come into these doors. They're going to come into this place, but they're not going to leave the same. Our desire is for them to have a true encounter with Jesus Christ that will impact their life, that they will encounter Jesus Christ in our gatherings, and so they'll leave different than when they came. 
they'll leave with a greater sense, a greater awareness, a greater understanding of, of God's love, of God's plan and purpose for their lives. See, I'm a man whose life was changed by Jesus Christ, and, and I can never deny that. You know, I, I would have no problem giving my life to Jesus if, if I were standing before somebody and they were asking me to deny Jesus, I would say no. And if that means laying my life down, that's the way it's going to be, so be it. I'm not afraid to die for the, the one who died for me. And see, we need to live our lives that way. See, there's, there's a level of commitment. And, and I know for me, uh, I've never come to a place where I'm satisfied with where I am in my walk with God. I always want more of, of his involvement in my life. I, I'm not seeking for the path of least resistance. I'm, I'm looking for, Lord, what can I do more for you in, in committing my life to you and living my life according to your perfect will? So um, in Psalms 91.2, it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. It's our desire that you find God as your refuge, as your fortress, and place your trust in him. Our vision, as uh, David shared during the announcements, is that all people matter to God. You matter to him. This is a place where we grow while finding authentic hope, purpose, and love through Jesus. Uh, so far in our core values, we've talked about we're people who cannot be broken. We're a family that always forgives. And we are peacemakers in a world at war. Today, we're looking at the fourth core value. We are a body that, when damaged, will heal. And I look past over the years of, of different things that have happened in the church where uh, a loss of, 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 you know, people, you know, deaths or different things that have happened that have shaken people up and, and, and been hurtful. And I've always seen God's intervention uh, manifesting in a way to bring us together. And God is able to take any negative thing and, and work it for good because that's his nature. God is a good God. And whatever he's involved in, somehow he can bring good out of it. And so that's uh, the God that we serve. Now, today's key scripture, it's an important one, in relating to this message is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And, and this is actually a scripture during the time of the nation of Israel that was a call to prayer and a call to repentance for the nation. And I believe this prayer is relevant even today in the day that we live in, in the time that we live in, and even as, as, as people of God. 2 Chronicles 7.14, let's... let's Read this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. Father, we do humble ourselves before you. And we come before you in this service we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you move in our hearts to give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of you. That we would be a people that would truly come to that place of understanding, that place of humility, in order to serve your purpose for this generation. We thank you, Father, for your love 
for your transforming power that can impact our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, this particular passage <clears throat> tells us how healing comes. Healing in a broader sense uh, from that beyond just physical healing because many times we think of healing as, as just a physical infirmity and you get well, you get better, you, you, you are made whole. But healing covers a broader sense. It covers the emotional aspect of our being, the relational aspect of our beings, and uh, spiritual healing. There's, there's different aspects of healing. I want to briefly break down this scripture for you because there's a pattern and there's a progression that we see in this particular passage. The scripture, first of all, tells us how healing comes. It starts with God's people. And if you want to just leave that passage up there, because as we look at this, uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, just leave it up on the slide. And bring it up again, if you can. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. There somehow there it is. If my people, so it starts with his people. Notice it doesn't address those people that don't know Jesus. It's not addressing the sinners. It doesn't say if sinners. It says, no, if my people. This is a call to the people of God. If they're called by my name. So it's talking about people that have been redeemed by the power of, of God and the power of Jesus. Notice it says, will humble themselves. See, it starts with God's people humbling themselves. See, pride and arrogance do not win favor with God. But in fact, it's, it's a posture that stands in opposition to him. Because God said he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's able to give something to the humble that they don't have. God's grace is his enablement, his empowerment, so that we can do what we need to do. Because so often people think, well, how can I live this life for Christ? How can I live for God? Well, guess what? He gives us grace to do it. He helps us live a life that honors and pleases him. So we see this here. It starts with God's people humbling themselves. The next aspect of this is it says to pray and seek his face. We need to understand that a face-to-face -face encounter, encounter with God will result in you turning from what's wrong, turning from sin, turning from what's wrong to what's right. That's what repentance is. It's, it's to turn from one direction to another. You're going one way. You're going the wrong way. Repentance is to turn around and go in the right direction. It's to change your thinking. It's to rethink the situation. It's to get God's perspective on the scene. And so, uh, I tell you, God wants a face-to-face -face encounter with you. In that, when you're seeking his face, in that face-to-face -face encounter, he will reveal himself to you. He will reveal his purpose to you. He'll show himself strong on your behalf. The next segment of this prayer is to turn from their wicked ways. Now, wicked is, is a strong word. And uh, it comes from uh, a word meaning twisted. We have wicker furniture. And wick, wicker furniture is just simply 
furniture with wood that's all twisted up to make a chair, to make a table, to make a desk, a dresser, or whatever. And so, but wicked means to be twisted in your thinking, to be twisted in your actions, your ways. And so, turning from your wicked ways will result when you have that face-to-face encounter with God. And so we need to identify what we're doing wrong and turn from it. Some people don't like to be told what they're doing wrong. And I, for one, if I'm doing something, if, if Deb corrects me, especially if she addresses my driving habits, you know, I, I don't like it. So why are you slowing down so soon? You know, what are you, why are you going so slow? Why are you, you know, whatever she's addressing. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't say that, but... <laughs> um, I don't like to be told I'm wrong. Who does? But yet, we, part of humility is saying, okay, tell me what's wrong. And going before God, say, God, what's wrong with my life? Because we can't live so arrogantly to think that uh, I'm just going to do what I want to do. See, our self-will has to be submitted to his will. God doesn't want to take your will away. He will never do that. But he wants you to surrender your will to his and when a will is subject, when your will is subject to the heart of God, there's something that transpires. There's a download from heaven, and you become empowered with his presence, with his passion, with his anointing. See, to win this world, we can't win it with a religion. We can only win this world with people that have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's going to touch the hearts of people. I can remember sitting on the airplane one time, and I was bumped up to first class, which I I don't mind that ever, but I was sitting next to a a very successful businessman, and I'm thinking, well, him and I are in two two different worlds. We live in two different worlds, and and so um, I was, I always pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to share it. He started sharing something with me, and I ended up having the opportunity to tell him what I did, and, you know, ministry, and some of the things we do in Africa, and I actually was able to present the gospel to him. And this man began to cry. He was sitting in the seat next to me just weeping. And I said, I don't know what's happening to me. He said, I know what's happening to you. God's touching your heart. He said, would you like to pray with me to receive Jesus, your Lord? He said, I'd love to do that. And I prayed with him, and, and he, his, his whole countenance has changed in his I got excited. He felt the joy in the presence of God. I thought, Lord, what a great opportunity you've given me today. To me, that's the greatest privilege in life is to be able to lead somebody into a personal relationship with Jesus, for them to accept him and receive his love, receive his forgiveness in his new life that he offers. So, yeah. So then, what happens after all this? then God hears from heaven. In other words, he has your attention. From heaven, he hears you. You've made contact with him. I don't know about you, I love a good connection. When we're in a school and I'm on my cell phone, I'm thinking, oh, no service. I have to step outside the door and walk around the corner. And then I, oh, I got a good connection. Oh, great, now I can hear you. Because otherwise the voice is muffled, it's interrupted, it's, you know, choppy. I love a good connection. How many of you love a good connection? God wants you to have a good connection with him 
to where you can know, God, you are really seriously speaking to me right now. I'm connecting with you. And see, if we can truly connect with him, it's going to be easier for us to connect with one another, to be a body that heals. Then the next segment of the scripture is he forgives our sin. Sin is dealt with, removed, eradicated. It no longer stands between you and God. He'll forgive your sin. And then finally, the last part of this is he heals our land. See, land has to do with where you are right now. Now, it could be in reference to your home. It could be in reference to your city, your workplace, the state, the nation you live in. But land produces crops or fruit. What is your land producing? You might look at it it's, and you might say, it's a mess. My land is all messed up right now. Well, God wants to heal it. He wants to heal your marriage. He wants to heal your home. He wants to heal you. We need to be a body that heals and, and brings healing to this community, healing to this generation. God wants to heal this nation. This nation is hurting right now. There's so much division. There's so much chaos. There's so much strife. And you know, really, the only real answer and solution to America is an awakening. This nation encountered two great awakenings in its history. Both of those awakenings came at a time when the nation was in a serious mess. And I believe that a third great awakening will bring this nation around. And um, I'm praying for it. I'm believing for it. I don't know about you, but we need to, we need to do that. Now, damage in life can be caused as a result of, of several reasons. It can be accidentally, you know, that, you know you, how many of you ever got an accident in your car? It, you didn't plan on it. Uh, one time I thought I was, a, I was backing out of a driveway. And that I was close to the intersection, and, and it, the light was green, so all these cars were passing. And all of a sudden, this nice person, sometimes you get a nice driver, they stop, and he motioned for me to back out. I thought, wow. Now, if I, I looked in my right, at my right, but I didn't look in my left mirror. If I would have, I would have noticed that the light had changed, and there was a car stopped right behind me. And it was a Volvo one of those expensive cars. And I backed right into it, and I smashed the side of this Volvo. And I was, where did that car come from? And that nice driver, I looked back at him, and he wasn't looking my way anymore. <laughs> so thanks a lot, nice guy. <laughs> but it was my fault. It was an accident. I didn't plan for that to happen, but it happened. Called the insurance agent. There was all, you know, all that goes with that. You've probably been there at one time or another. But uh, accidents or damage can result as of, because of poor judgment, poor decisions. It can be neglect, negligence. It can be willful or intentional. And sometimes you might just think, my life is damaged. But no, God is able to repair any damage that may come in our lives. Auto accidents can cause physical or clinical collateral damage. Uh, I spoke to a man this past week, and, and he had been at family camps in previous years. He actually uh, played on the worship team. I think he played bass guitar or something. And he was in a wheelchair, and I said, what happened to you? And he told me that this past winter, he, there was a snowstorm, and he was passing a semi-truck, and he was in the uh, left lane uh, on the interstate, and he didn't know because the, the snow from the truck was going and it was like all white. 
And he was passing this truck, but a snowplow was turning around on the highway at the time. And as it was turning around, he smashed right into the front of it. And the guy's a miracle. They gave him really no chance to live at all. But he was telling me his testimony of how God saved him and, and has restored him. And so accidents happen, but yet we're a body that heals. And, and I, I, I want today, there, there, there's so much more, and I, I'd like to actually take another message with this. I, we, we understand that healing is a process. It's not just physical. It's emotional and spiritual. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 4, we see a passage, and, and this is actually, this passage is an indictment against spiritual leadership. And I don't want this indictment to be against us as a church and the leadership here. It says, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. This is really like a warning. This is not who we are at refuge. This passage does not describe us, but we need to be the very opposite. We need to be a church, a place that heals, that ministers to those uh, that are distraught, to those that need strength to be strengthened. See, God's desire at refuge is for us to be a witness of courage in a hurting world. And so we want you to join us in that effort to bring hope and healing to a hurting world. In 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to have time to read all this, but we see a picture of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, that's your homework assignment. I want you to read that, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 27. In the passage, the scripture compares the church to a human body. The allegory or the analogy helps us to understand the function of the church. The body is his church. You are his church. You are the church of Jesus Christ, part of it anyway. You are his hands, you are his feet to interact with the people around you. And uh, so you need to read that. I, um, I'm going to just, I got to read one of the verses, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged all the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So he arranges us. He puts us together. And it talks about the body cooperating where one member, the eye can't say to another member, I don't need you. I have no reason for you, your purpose for you. But it talks about the function of the body, how we're to get along, how we're to function and get together. And so, uh, but yet, the body together, God wants it to function, wants it to be healthy so that we can be Jesus Christ and represent him to a world that's lost and without him. God has designed our human bodies to heal itself. And, and for that, I, we have a special guest he, who's a member of Refuge. His name is Dr. Colton. And this guy is awesome. He's witty. He's fun-loving. He's energetic. And he's going to talk to you about this, tying in with this message of how we are a body that heals. And uh, I'm not going to say his statements, but I can quote him. Uh, he recently did a small group, and it was amazing. Uh, Joan and him kind of tag-teamed it together. Uh, she talked on the uh, spiritual healing. He talked about physical well-being and healing. So come on up here, Dr. Colton. Let's welcome him as he comes to share with us. Amen. Now, 
I have to tell you, this guy cracks me up. Actually, he adjusts my back. That was good. I'll take that. All right. Mike Rezan. Um, thanks, Bishop. And thank everybody for just a little bit of time. Uh, Bishop asked for me to talk about physical healing, and, and, and you know, he's talking about how we're a body that heals. And so I want to... I want to lay down a couple of principles of physical healing and then use some illustration to kind of tie it all together for you. So the first thing we have to understand when it comes to physical healing is that God doesn't create junk, okay? And it's just like what Bishop talked about uh, in Corinthians 18, 1 Corinthians 18, each one of you have a purpose for the body of Christ. He doesn't create junk, and your body, your human body, isn't created as junk. So that's the first principle we have to understand. God doesn't create junk. Now the second principle is, you already alluded to it, is that God created your body to heal, Okay, and we're talking from a paper cut to cancer. Healing is healing. That again, it doesn't. A cancerous tumor doesn't intimidate God. All right. Seriously, think about this. He knows every. So, to the best of our knowledge, there's a hundred million chemical reactions that happen every single second in your body. Every single second. We have no idea about them going on. I have no idea what my liver's doing. Do you have any idea what your kidneys are doing? No idea. Right. But again, God does. And so what we need to do is cooperate with that, right? And so if you, if that's kind of a, whoa, okay, really? Paper cut and cancer, same thing to God? Get around those in the body of Christ that have, have been healed. And we're talking, you guys, MRIs, x-rays, cancerous tumor, prayed for, another MRI, x-ray, tumor gone. That's amazing. And the body of Christ, you guys, is, is no different. Um, I know we're talking, I'm, I'm talking about physical healing, but step back and think about just as a whole body, all the needs that we have in our relationship with Christ. Um, you know, two examples came to mind as you were talking, uh, Pastor, is that look at um, King David and Paul, okay? So no matter where you think you are or where you rank or where you don't deserve love or healing in your life, these guys are good examples, okay? Because think about this for a second. Let's, let's say King David, okay? Let's pretend King David applied for a spot at refuge for a second. Okay, so, hey, King David, nice to meet you. Um, looking at your resume here, uh, rumor has it that you were lusting after someone's wife, ended up, yep, being with the wife, and then had the husband killed. Is that correct? Yeah. Dude, you're a wicked harpist, but refuge music, not, not the place for you. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, think about that. But yet, what happened? God, he forgave, he was truly repentant, and God healed him in his life. Okay. Paul, okay, Paul comes in. Paul, man, nice to meet you. You've done amazing things. Uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament. And uh, I'm just looking here, little Paul, and, ooh, is it true you were persecuting the church and had some Christians stoned to death, and you were, like, you were over that? Yeah, listen, love you, but the welcome team, not going to happen for you. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, think about this. And these are, and so no matter, and I say that, guys, because no matter where you're at, God can heal it. So again, just and again, I know I'm talking about physical healing, but again, that can happen on an emotion, on a spiritual level as well. So again, we have to realize that God can heal. And the third principle, before I go into some illustration, is that God created your body to do the exact right thing for the environment you put it in, so that you can live. Okay. So let's let's kind of tie this together with some illustrations. So let's use a paper cut as an example. Okay. So boom, you get a paper cut. And your body does a cascade of reactions immediately. I mean, we're talking a whole myriad, and we're not going to go over the anatomy and physiology. That just You'd be sleeping. But it's an amazing thing, trust me. And so what happens to that paper cut, okay? You're right, you got inflammation, all these fibrogens, these scar tissue that are laid down. It's all these really cool things. But bottom line, two weeks later, what happens to the paper cut? Gone. 
Okay, now did you have to look at the paper cut and be like, heal, 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 heal. Rub some, rub some vegetables on it, right? Exercise it away. Like, no, you didn't have to do those things, right? God created you naturally to heal. Now, let's step back for a second and let's look and let's take the brightest minds ever that we've ever known in our, you know, throughout the history of the world. So take oh, everyone, take, take your, your Edison, your Einsteins, your you know, Pastor Matts, take them all, throw them together, okay? <laughs> and take them now, and let's, let's do this. Let's, let's take someone who just died, okay? So the life now is out of their body. And let's give that person who just died a paper cut, okay? And then let's put the best and the brightest minds inside that room and say, you have one job, heal that paper cut. Can they do it? No. Think about that for a second. They can't heal a stinging paper cut. And these, this is the brightest that man can offer. Can't heal a paper cut. Let's go another way. You know that we know what your body's made out of, you know, nitrogen, oxygen, all these other elements, but yet we can't create one cell in your body. Not one cell. You know, you know what God did? There it is. 100 million chemical corrections every single second. Your heart's one of the most amazing pumps you've ever, I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy what happens. And so I say that because what do we sometimes do? We get caught up putting our trust in what? In man. And it's like, no, we need to focus on the healer. We need to focus on God and let him lead our lives, right? And so I use that example. And then I have one more illustration for you. And it, it ties that last principle in. Let's just say we have a beach party, right? And I'm like, all right, everyone bring your swimsuits. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, so you all come in, showing up your swimsuits, and I'm like, ah, oh, but there's a little catch with our beach party. I load you in a helicopter, we fly you up to Antarctica, and I drop you on an iceberg, okay? That's where our beach party happens, okay? So why am I using that? Okay, so think about this for a second. When you're on an iceberg in your swimsuit, okay, what does your body do, okay? I'm going to tell you. Your body takes all the blood from your extremities, and it pulls it to your vital organs. Now, is that smart or stupid? That's, I'm telling you, that is amazing, okay? Because what it's doing at that point is that's pulling that blood so you can stay alive, all right? But here's what happens. What if we got so caught up and so microscopic and we said, no, 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 I just, wanna, I just care about the big toe. That's all I care about, right? So let's just look at the big toe. And so what happens to the big toe at that point? It starts to turn blue, black, right? Gets a little frostbit, lose all the feeling inside of it. So if we were microscopically looking at the big toe, what do we say about the human body? What do we say about healing at that point? This is kind of dumb. Like, it's falling off here. But yet, when we step back and we look at the bigger picture that God has for our, our life and our body, what is he doing? The exact right thing at the exact right moment to keep you alive and give you life. And that's such a huge thing because I know there's times, you guys, in our lives where there's just so much stuff going on and we want to, you know, oh, you got this, you got this. But... If you look at, I mean, Old Testament over and over and over again, Ezekiel, I've been in lately, and, you know, he does some pretty astounding things to Israel. But then at the end of those passages at Ezekiel, he says, then you will know that I am Lord. And, you guys, he cares so much about you that he'll do anything to get you to realize that at times. And so I encourage you just to focus on him, and then we look back. And, and so the, really the final principle, what it all leads up to when it comes to healing from physical and I guess from a, a spiritual standpoint is God doesn't need any help. He just needs no interference, right? He doesn't need any help. He just needs no interference. So our job is to cooperate with that, be obedient to that. So thanks, Bishop. Awesome. Something Dr. Colton has taught us 
is it's not how you look, it's not how you feel, but it's how you function. And so sometimes, even as a church, oh yeah, this feels good, this looks good, but how are we functioning? That's what really matters concerning true health. Uh, so that's, that's really, thank you for those words, Dr. Colton. And uh, you know, let me just, in bringing this service to a close, um, when there's dysfunction in the body, it cannot function as God designed it to function. Uh, and what causes dysfunction is, is the things that we encounter, the afflictions, the, the stress, the, and then it's this thing called the works of the flesh. It's when there's envy and strife and, and selfishness and unforgiveness all these things begin to work, that's like a cancer to the body. And then the body can't function as God designed it to because of these things. So we need to look at what do we need to do to align ourselves so that the healing can come, so that what God put in this body can manifest his healing among us to heal emotional wounds, the hurts, the heartaches. Because we as a church need to be healthy and whole. So then when people come in who are hurting and sick and afflicted can find health and healing. Otherwise, we're just going to hurt together. And there's something I've learned is hurting people hurt people. Did you know that? They're just hurting. So they'll, they'll be short with people because they're hurting themselves and they don't maybe intend to hurt others, but the principle is they end up hurting people. So how are we a body that heals? How are we to be a body that heals? Well, first of all, we need to adopt the mindset. It must become a mindset that we are a church that is assigned by God and mandated by God to bring healing to hurting people whether that's physical healing, emotional healing, or spiritual healing, whatever healing they need in their lives. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17, it says, For I restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion. No one seeks her. There's, there's people that no one is reaching. There's people that are considered outcasts. We need to be a healing force, an advocate in their lives. We must receive healing ourselves to minister healing effectively to others. In Jeremiah 33, 6, the scripture says, Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. God's desire is, is to bring healing to hurting humanity. Turning over to the New Testament, we see in Hebrews 12, 13, it says, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may, be, may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. See, God wants to deal with the dysfunction, the dislocated members in his body. If something's dislocated, that means it's out of joint, it's out of sync, and therefore it's causing pain, it's causing discomfort. And so it needs an adjustment. It needs something to bring it into alignment. 
And today, I believe that God wants to bring us into a more perfect alignment so we can truly be a body that will heal when it's damaged. And so, in Mark 16, 18, we see Jesus even saying, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. It's our responsibility to minister God's healing uh, power to this generation. God has healing for the hurting. Um, in 1 Peter 2.24, this is probably one of the most classic passages that talk about healing. It's probably one of the most quoted when talking about healing. And it actually addresses not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. It actually deals with both. We understand that the work of redemption that Jesus provided for us dealt with healing us of, of the effects of sin. And because sickness is a byproduct of sin, that same work of redemption also relates to bring healing to our physical bodies as well. In 1 Peter 2.24, in the New King James Version, it says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body in the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. See, Jesus took the pain, the punishment upon himself so that we could be healed, so that we could be made whole. In the New Living Translation, this verse reads a little differently, and I like how it, re how it uh, translates the passage. In verse 24, it says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you were healed. See, here we see really the heart of God to bring healing to hurting humanity. We see where he didn't just forgive us of sins, but he took sin upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There was a substitutionary work that God accomplished through the cross. He took your sins. And we have to come to the place of understanding that. See, he doesn't want you to live in sin any longer. He wants to set you free from sin. See, the cross separated man from his sin. It's where God was able to pour out his love upon fallen mankind, upon the sinner, and bring salvation. And see, he took the punishment. He separated sin from the sinner. Jesus became that sin. And your sins and my sins were nailed to the cross. And Jesus' death on the cross was the penalty to pay for those sins. The penalty, the, the punishment that those sins deserved so that we could go free. See, sin is a power that we give ourselves to. It takes control of our lives and brings us into a place of bondage. And it tries to make us think that we're actually free when we're not, we're bound. Yet Jesus breaks the power of sin in our lives so that we can truly be free. Jesus said in John 8, 36, he who the Son, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
He wants to set you free today. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, you know, I, I really don't know that I would call myself a Christian. I really don't know that I'm living for God. In fact, I know I'm not living for God. Or maybe you are living for God, but you're struggling with sin. You're, you're struggling with issues. And you know that your life is not where it should be. Well, I want to extend for you today an invitation. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, to come to a place of prayer. And we're going to have our prayer team up here in just a couple minutes. And they're going to be available to pray with you and, and minister to you. There's something about coming to that point in your life where you surrender and say, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm ready to let go. I'm ready to give up my life, my way, and embrace your way to surrender to him. And this is a moment, I believe, that God is giving us that opportunity for those that want to accept that opportunity to come to him, to receive his love, to receive his mercy, to receive his grace. See, Jesus said, I'll turn no one away that comes to me. Jesus will not reject you. Billy Graham, in all of his crusades over the years, they closed the service by singing the song, Just As I Am, without one plea. We come to him just as we are. We can't hide who we are, but we come as we are. And when we come to him, then he can take our life and he can fix what's broken. He can help us in the areas where we need help. And he can right the wrongs. He can bring healing, forgiveness, and the help that we need to really find our purpose and true direction in life. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to bow your heads at this time. And as we wait in the presence of God, I believe that his presence is here. The Holy Spirit is here to minister to each of us. Heavenly Father, as we read the scripture earlier, 2 Chronicles 7:14, you said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. You said that you would hear from heaven. You said that you would forgive our sin. You said that you would heal our land. Father, in the name of Jesus, first and foremost, we come before you as believers and we humble ourselves. We ask that you forgive us. We seek your face. Father, we turn from ways that displease you. Father, we ask that you address those areas in our life and bring us to a place of, of humble repentance so that we can truly embrace your plan and what you have called us to. In Jesus' name. Now I pray, Father, for those that may not know you as their Lord and Savior, that even this day would be a day that they would come to encounter who you are to know who you are, to be touched and impacted by your love. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. We give you glory and honor. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. 
For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.